for some it might sound a little different you know what do you mean by that but you know when you think of the fact that he would leave the 99 go and go after the one that that sounds a, a little reckless to me when you consider the fact that he would love his enemies that he would die for those who killed him it sounds a, a little reckless to me and what it is basically is it's just an everlasting love that God has for us that has been demonstrated on Calvary that will never change. No matter who we are or what we've done, we all fall short in many ways, God's love will never end. And, and when that really sinks into our heart, it changes us. It transforms our life. See, rules and regulations will change you from the outside. It's an external change. But when the love of God reaches your heart and you understand, wow, he still loves me, what that does is it changes us from the inside. And so I pray that as we're going through these sections and we're seeing Jesus you know, making that final decision to die for us, even though it meant that he would have to go through so much suffering, that as we go through this journey together in the scriptures, that we would have a greater understanding of the love of God. And so let's follow this story as to how our Lord got to the cross as we read here in Mark 14. And let's go ahead and, and pick it up in verse 32, where it says, and then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. It literally means oil press. And, and he, Jesus, said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And then he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Think about that. Stay here and, and watch. And then he went a little farther, and notice he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And, and he said, Abba, that's Aramaic for daddy or papa. He's saying, Daddy, uh, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. So then he came and found them sleeping and he said to Peter Simon are you sleeping could you not watch one hour watch and pray lest you enter into temptation the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak and again he went and prayed and spoke the same words and when he returned he found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him and then he came the third time and he said to them are you still sleeping and resting it is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And so, you know, the Lord obviously knew, we studied last week, that he instituted communion. He, know where he, was, he knew where he was going. He was going to the cross. And as he's going there, what does he decide to do? He decides to pray, right? He prayed, and he prayed, we read in verse 33, because he was distressed, right? He took Peter, James, and John. He went, uh, and I pray that if it's possible, if it's the Lord's will, that you can go with us to Israel, because when I went to Israel, this was my favorite place. Oh, man, when I went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and 
for whatever reason, it just hit me hard that here in this place, by these olive trees, this is where Jesus made his final decision to die for me. And, and for whatever reason, I was kind of comparing it to the way that I am, so different than him, you know, but when I went there, it just hit me hard. And so, you know, if you go, you'll be able to see it. I remember I took my shoes off and I was just there weeping, weeping, and I didn't want to leave. They told me, Manny, you got to go. We got to go. I couldn't. It was so hard for me. This garden, this garden of Gethsemane, he goes, he takes his disciples, and he takes Peter, James, and John for further prayer support, and he asks them to pray. And the reason that he wants to do this in verse 33 is because it says he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. The, the Greek word there translated distress, it means great anguish. Even to the point of depression, it's actually the strongest of the three Greek words used for depression or anguish. And, you know, just as you guys know, we studied the Bible, this was what our Lord went through for us. The Bible even says in Isaiah 53 that he was despised or rejected by man, a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief, the Bible says. I mean, it was something that he lived. Uh, Isaiah 53, verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. As a matter of fact, right here we read that he wasn't just sorrowful. It says in verse 34 that he was exceedingly sorrowful. You know, I don't know if you've ever been there, you know, but it's all part of the prayer process and then just things start opening up. I mean, I, I do know this, that if you ever find yourself in anguish, depressed, uh, bummed out, you know, things aren't going according to what perhaps would be the easiest route for you, you know, whatever you do, do what Jesus did. He prayed. He prayed. You know, he prayed passionately. Hebrews 5.7 tells us that Jesus prayed with loud, fervent cries and tears. You know, that's one of the reasons I like to go in the garage and pray, because I like to, to pray out loud. And sometimes when there's no one here, I'll just, you know, I'll raise the volume a little bit. Don't tell anybody, but, you know, there's just something about just pouring out your heart to the Lord and giving him the burdens. You know, the other day I was talking to my kids because we read a devotional by Spurgeon as talking about casting your burdens on the Lord. And I asked them, I said, how do you do that? How, if you have a burden, if you have something weighing heavy on your heart, how do you give it to God? And I, and I was telling them that, that really, uh, to me, the process is I pray. I pray. I'll be honest with you. I want to immediately deal with the situation a lot of times, or I want to, you know, talk to someone else about it, that person, or maybe get to the bottom line, or grab the bull by the horns, or whatever. Go to the phone. But I'm telling you this, and I've learned this sometimes by making mistakes, but I've kind of learned it over the years. The best thing to do is to pray. Go to your Lord and cast the burden on him. And you watch what happens. He lifts the burden. He reminds you that it's not too much for him to handle. And he will lead and guide your life. He will give you strength to bear whatever it is that you might be going through. You see, this is what we should do when we're going through the, the, the times in which we would define as the, our own cross, right? I mean, we all are called to bear our cross, right? And so that means that there will be times when, in life when it's not easy. And so Psalm, in verse 9, chapter 9, verse 9, it says, The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times 
of trouble. And so there are those times where you feel like it's trouble. You know, some like to be alone. They moan alone. They go to the phone. Others, man, what you got to do is what? You got to go through the, to the throne, right? It, someone wisely said, when your knees are knocking, kneel on them. <laughs> I mean, can you visualize your knees are shaking together? And I've been in situations, and even now, I mean, I'm 50 years old. You would figure I'd have this figured out by now. I've been a pastor for a while. There are times where I get afraid. Lord, what do I do? What if this happens or that? And my knees are knocking, and the Lord just says, hey, just fall on them. Now, recently, I was reminded in a very fresh way to do this, man. I mean, like Hezekiah, when he was surrounded by 185,000 Assyrians, I mean, what would you do? I would probably call other countries, you know, get some help. I would, you know, muster up the army. I would just, that would be where I would go first. But what does the Bible say? He took the threats of the enemy and he spread it out before the Lord as he went into the temple and he prayed. He prayed. And then the Lord sent a message through Isaiah and he said to Hezekiah, because you prayed, you will be delivered. And so what ended up happening, God sent an angel of the Lord. He struck 185,000 Assyrians. God will take care of whatever it is. But, but when we're in that place, we have to make sure that we pray. You know, something else that's interesting in looking at this is uh, not only did the Lord pray, but I think there is a, a couple of things going on here. He's also asking for prayer support. You know, when you read the Synoptic Gospels, he says, pray with me. Uh, he wanted them to pray for them because their spirit was indeed willing, but the flesh was weak. He said, you should pray lest you enter into temptation. Some of us here, if we entered into certain temptations, we wouldn't be able to handle it. So it's better to pray like the Lord even gave us the model prayer, lead us not into temptation. So he said, pray lest you enter into temptation. It was for them, but I think, I don't know when I read it, it was also for him, hey, pray with me. You know, pray for me. And this is what we should do as well, you guys. I mean, we're not alone. First person you go to is God. Go to God, pray to him. He's there for you. He will always hear you when you cry, when you call to him. But you know what? A second thing that's really cool is, is to ask others that, that you know uh, love the Lord, that they really love you, and they have a prayer life, ask them to pray for you. You know, when we were in Cambodia recently, you can talk to any of the team that went, all 15 of us, that we felt the prayers every single day. I mean, just carrying us, giving us strength, you know, bringing life and salvation and joy and, you know, edification, I mean, to the church. I mean, touching missionaries' hearts. I mean, doing so many things. You went with us to Cambodia, you, you carried us. I mean, whatever you do, do not underestimate the value of when you intercede for others. You see, this is what's going on here. And Jesus prayed, but he even asked for prayer support. You know, what we find right here is God does a great work, um, but Jesus, as he's heading to the cross, you know, for us it's cool, it's free but for him it wasn't i mean we got to see the way that he suffered you know the matter of fact luke 22 44 it says in being in agony he prayed more earnestly and then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground 
I mean, to, the word agony, it comes to us from the Greek word referring to a contest or a conflict or a battle. You see, and when he was in the garden, there was a, there was a battle going on. There was a struggle for victory emotionally, mentally, in, in anguish, in, in agony. I mean, I don't know if you can kind of like go there and see that in your Savior. You know, the way that he battled the enemy. You know, so much so that his sweat became as drops of blood. This is a medical condition known as hematidrosis. It's a condition in which a human being sweats blood. And so what happens when a person is suffering extreme levels of stress or uh, facing his or her own death, uh, several historical references have been described, including uh, Leonardo da Vinci's writings. He described a soldier who sweat blood before a battle also of men that were given the death sentence experiencing this hematidrosis. According to Dr. Frederick Zugibi, he was a former chief medical examiner of Rockland County, New York, he said it's well known that around the sweat glands there are multiple blood vessels, kind of like in a net-like form. And so under the pressure of great stress, the vessels constrict and then dilate to the point of rupture. And so the blood then seeps into the sweat glands as the sweat glands produce more sweat and then pushes the blood to the surface and it comes out as droplets of blood mixed with sweat. More than likely, none of you here have ever sweat blood. But Jesus did for you. I mean, in the suffering and the battle and the conflict and the agony in the garden is seen. You know, one other effect of hematidrosis is that the skin, it becomes extremely tender and sensitive and fragile so that any pressure or damage to the skin is then more uh, painful than it ordinarily would be. And, and when you think of that happening to our Lord, and then you think of the beating and the flogging that he went through, what we're basically, I, I think what God really wants us to see, not that he's exaggerating, you know, he's not adding to it. He's not, you know, coloring it. He's just telling you what it is. That this is the extent of suffering that our Savior went through so that you and I can be free, and forgiven. And I pray that we could see this with all our heart. You know, the Bible talks about in Hebrews 12 too, where we are to look unto Jesus. Literally in the Greek language, it says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. And so the writer to Hebrews there, he says, I want you to do something. I want, to f I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus. I want you to look at him and I want you to see his cross. That's what he's saying. I mean, what held him on the cross, it was you and I in heaven. You know, before, how many of you here, just out of curiosity, before you got saved, you maybe you grew up in the Catholic church, just out of curiosity. Okay, so there's a pretty good amount of you. You know, in the Catholic church, usually when you go in, um, or whatever, surrounding it, there's, a, there's usually a crucifix, huh? And so you see a cross there, and you see Jesus nailed to it. And, uh, you know, when we got saved, we learned something really important, that Jesus is no longer on that cross. And so 
for us here, I think we might even have one here, we usually have a cross, and of course there's no body on it. And I think that's right, I think that's probably the right approach, but don't forget it. There's that, there's that saying, out of sight, out of mind. You guys know that? I've learned that to be true, so true. And so we look at the cross and we it's so pretty, oh, it's so nice, look at the stain, the way they sanded it is so beautiful. We forget that that cross was stained bled, red by the blood of Jesus. And so as we read the Bible, it's better to see it here as we look and see, man, what the Lord went through for us, you know, and we see him suffer. He was distressed and anguished, and so he prayed for that reason Another reason is he had a request, right? Look again at verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, again, like I said, it's Daddy, Papa, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. That was his request. He had a request, right? I mean, he asked his father to take the cup away. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. You know, he prayed not to drink the cup. And, and you ask why. I mean, why did the Lord pray that prayer? And we, of course, we know the cup was the cup of suffering. Did he have a moment of weakness? Is that what it is? Was he losing his resolve? Was he afraid of the pain? Did he change his mind? And of course, we know the answer to all these was no. But he still had that request. It's, it's, this is just deep. This is deep. I mean, he knows he's going to die, but just in the deepest recesses of his heart, he asks his dad, Dad, can you, can you, can you give me a pass on this somehow, some way? Why did he pray that? You know, Jesus knew he was going to drink the cup. He had instituted communion. He had that conversation with James and John in, in Matthew 22 that he was going to drink that cup. So why did he pray this prayer and there's different uh, theories. One possibility is to show us that he really was the only way. I mean, if we could go to heaven through Buddha, if we can go to heaven through Krishna or through Muhammad and his teachings, if we could just be a good person, then Jesus would not have had to die. But there was no other way. He had to pay that infinite price. Only God can do that. And so, you know, the, 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 the Lord said, no, you got to go to the cross. It's the only hope for humanity. You know, some say, well, that's why he prayed, so that we can see this whole thing unfold, that it would teach us that Jesus is the only way. But, but you know, another possibility in looking at this, I, I don't think that was all to it. I think there was more. Some say, well, maybe it was him crying out from his humanity uh, the pain that he was about to bear. And there's a revelation of that. You know, and perhaps, you know, I don't know if you ever thought about that type of suffering. Um, you know, I think personally that the cross was the greatest amount of pain that any human being has ever experienced for multiple reasons. I mean, the emotional anguish, the sin, the darkness that was placed on the light, the separation, all those things, um, this thinking in my heart, when I think of when they were beating Christ, I think behind every blow was the fist of Satan himself. You know, the, the cross was, uh, 
Invented by the Phoenicians, it was mastered by the Romans to, to produce the maximum amount of pain for the greatest amount of time. And sometimes they would hang there for days. And so maybe that's what the Lord was asking, you know, in his humanity, I don't want to do this. You know, a third possibility is just uh, him thinking of the sin that he would bear because remember, he had no sin prior to the bat. The Bible says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, right? 2 Corinthians 5. And on all those reasons, I think, are factors. But as I was praying over this, and I think most of you know, the real reason why Jesus prayed for the cup to pass from him, uh, I believe the Lord showed me something. It's this. Pain was the start of it. Sin was a part of it. But separation from the Father was the heart of it. And it's hard for us to understand that he had never in eternity been separated from his father. And I don't want to embarrass uh, Darren and Mercedes here, but when Mercedes went to Cambodia the first time, she's way over there, he's way over here. He, he, it drove him crazy. The separation, they'd never been separated. I mean, Jesse and Maria, again, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but here, look at them. Everybody, let's look at them. I'm just joking. <laughs> when, she, when she went to Cambodia and he was here, it drove him crazy. I mean, the separation, you know, it's not that way, I guess, for all of us because we're all different. My wife has kind of gotten used to it now. But there is that separation that the father had with the son that we cannot even begin to imagine. And that's why... He prayed, Father, Dad, Pops, is there any other way? Because I don't want this. I really don't. Because he bore our sins. And then he was forsaken by the Father because God cannot look upon sin with favor. We know the Psalm 22, verse 1, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. It means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For Jesus, it was the first time in all of eternity, and the very thought made him sorrowful, even to death, and made him sweat drops of blood, and made him ask his Father to make sure if there was any other way. Lord, is there any way we can go around this? Father, we've never been apart in all eternity. You've been with me. And he prayed. And, and just as a quick side note, you know, do we have the same heart? I mean, it's so cool as Christians, we can walk in fellowship with him, but you know, um, some of you here, I don't know for sure, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. You've never really given your life to the Lord. You're having fun, whatever, you're playing uh, video games or whatever, you got a good job. You know, there you are, you're living life, but you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Do you realize that you're separated from God? That you are separated from your Father, your Maker, the lover of your soul, you're, you're separated from him. I mean, do you, do you see that? I mean, he does not want that. That's why he died for you. I pray that if you're here and you're not really all in, that today you would make a decision to follow Christ. He's got amazing plans for your life, but if you choose to live in your sin, 
separated from God here, then you will die in your sin. Separated from God forever. And then there's us as Christians. Sometimes, you know, yeah, we're saved, but, you know, we're, we're holding on to sins that God is saying you should let go of. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is it heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You know, and, and, I, and I talk to people and it's so cool what God is doing. It really is. I mean, I'm talking to guys that are not drinking anymore. And guys, it's weird. Some guys, you know, some churches out there, you know, it's okay to have vodka in a men's fellowship. That's weird. The pastor says, it's okay to have a beer and a Dodger dog. You know, I mean, weird stuff. And so then I talk to them and they come here and they're like, you know what, I realize that's not right. God's working. God's setting people free, but... Sometimes, even people who go to church, their heart is not completely committed to Christ and they're still living in their sin. They're still, you know, watching the pornography and they got it on their phone or they're even having an affair. I mean, just crazy things, you know. Beloved, my prayer is that you and I, we would just come all in, that our sins wouldn't separate us from the Father. Psalm 66, 18, it says, if I had cherished it in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And so the Lord, he, he did not want that. He prayed that the cup would pass three times, but he also tagged it. We see again there in verse 36, not what I will, but what you will. And that's, that's how we should pray, isn't it? You know, that was his heart. We know in John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own initiative. Just as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. I mean, I, I pray that we would all have that heart, you know, because sometimes we want to go to God and say, okay, this is what I want, and I'm going to kind of like twist your arm, and, you know, I'm going to keep pressing the issue until you give me what I want. Kind of like a two-year-old tantrum. But for those of you who've been Christians for a while, haven't you been blessed by coming to that point and the realization in your life where when I pray or as I live life as a Christian, I just want his will for my life. Because I, I've come to realize that that's what's best for me, for them, and for everyone, right? And Jesus said in John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 4, 34, as a matter of fact, it's interesting. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. Now, I don't know about you, but my food is pizza. I love pizza, man. <laughs> you know, I love uh, whatever, you know, chips. You guys got to pray for me because I could live on potato chips and I know that's not good, man. You know, I, I like food, and you know, how many of you here, come on, you, we like it, right? What's for breakfast? Bacon. It was really good, you know? Looking forward to a good lunch, and it's funny how it works, you know? As soon as you're done with lunch, hey, what's for dinner? You know, you're thinking ahead, right? And it's just that, it just, you know, it's something about it. But, but for the soul, that's what keeps us going. That's our sustenance. That's what we live on. That's what we live for. Not my will. Lord, what is your will for my life? 
You know, that absolute surrender, so simple, broken of our own will, so pure, so powerful, that's how we lived. And we're called to do the same. Remember the prayer, our, our Father in heaven, how be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, not, not mine. You know, when you pray, make sure you pray like that. Um, there's an acronym out there. Have you guys heard that acronym for prayer? It's called PUSH, and this is what it stands for. Pray until something happens. But I was just thinking about that, and I just want to warn you when you pray, maybe it's not wise to push. This is what I want. And so you start pushing. I would not pray as a pushy person, you know. I think it's okay to pray to God, but don't push God. It's okay to persist when you pray, but not to insist when you pray. You know, when you're not sure about something in your prayers, always tag it like Jesus did, but your will be done. You know, one person said the primary objective of prayer is to line our will with the will of God. That is when we'll see our prayers answered in the affirmative. Affirmative. It's been said that prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his willingness. Prayer is not getting our will in heaven, but it's getting God's will on earth. And I am, I've learned in life, you know, I've, I've, I've learned that, you know, what I thought was best, it, it really wasn't. And so, you know, for me, that's where I've come. Lord, this is what I, I, I request and I ask, and it makes a lot of sense, but not, not my will. Lord, thy will be done. And, and so he'll show you and he'll give confirmation and he'll open doors that no man can shut. And, you know, we won't have to kick him down. You know, it'll be the Lord when he opens those doors. Uh, I like what Greg Laurie said. He says, if God says yes, then go. If God says wait, then slow. And if God says no, then grow. I kind of like that, you know. He says, no, you you're kind of got your will wrong. You need to grow up. Discover his will and then yield to it. And so here we see the Lord asked his friends to pray with him. They didn't. Why didn't they pray? What do you guys think? Why didn't they pray? Well, let me ask you a question. Why don't you pray? Some of you here, you, ha you didn't even pray today. You got up in the morning, maybe you turn on the news, you put a Pop-Tart in the toaster. I'm not trying, to, I'm not trying to, to condemn you, but I am saying that that's a, that's a big problem in the church, that people are too, too busy to pray. They're overconfident. That was what was going on with Peter. Oh, I'll never deny you. I'm cool. I'm good. Even though the Lord warned him multiple times. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't have what it takes to step out the door and face temptation. I don't have a, the strength in and of myself to be able to, you know, love my wife or just kind of deal with things in the house apart from the supernatural power of God. I mean, how arrogant it is to go into life and not pray. But they didn't pray because they were overconfident. They also didn't pray because they were sleepy. And I understand that part. Not only do I love pizza, I love sleep. You gotta pray for me, man. But you know, their eyes were heavy. It's probably in the wee hours of the night. But man, if you knew the devil was coming knocking on your door, chances are you would pray. 
You know, there might be some of you here today, you're not really in that right relationship with the Lord, and the devil's asked for you to sift you as we. I encourage you to take Jesus' words to heart and to pray, to watch and pray. It's an admonition we see frequently in the scriptures. And, uh, you know, it, it'll, it'll save you a lot of heartache. You know, as a matter of fact, it's interesting. Peter didn't pray. He did two things. Number one, he slept. And number two, you guys know what else he did? He swung the sword. Remember? Thank God he wasn't a good swordsman. <laughs> well, Mal, it doesn't matter. I guess the Lord could have healed Malchus no matter what it was. But, you know, he fought in the flesh, not in the spirit. And for us, it's important to know that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You know, you get mad at your kid, your son, so you, ang you yell at them. You yell at them. You know what that is? That's Peter swinging the sword. That's the flesh. Well, what should you do? Love them. Pray for them. If you need to correct them, say it in words that are, that are, that are with the right tone. You know, but if you're not in prayer, you're not walking in the spirit, you're going to do things like that. And if it weren't for the grace of God, what would have happened? There would have been four crosses on Calvary that day, and Peter would have died too. That's how important it is for us to make sure that we pray. That's our weapon. That's our weapon. And we see it so beautifully exemplified in the life of our Lord, don't we? You see, in looking at this, as we go towards the cross, journeying through the Gospel of Mark, we see, number one, that Jesus prayed, and there the battle was won. And then, number two, we see that he was betrayed. And in verse 43, it says, and immediately... While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. And then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. We know that to be Peter. And then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And then they all forsook him and fled. And so we're going through this. So you know, it's a historical account uh, and, and seeing what happened, however, not just information, but hopefully as we, as we look at this and read it with our heart, there's, there's, there's transformation. There is this revelation of the love of God that changes our life. He prayed and he was betrayed. We see who came. It was a great multitude with swords and clubs from the chief peace, priests and elders of the people, they were temple guards and soldiers. We read that in John chapter 18, verse 3. Earlier, the Lord had said that he would be betrayed into the hands of sinners. We read that in verse 41. But, but Judas also came with them, right? And when you, when you think of Judas, you know, here's the thing that, that we got to kind of look at. You know, we learn lessons from, you know, Peter's life. We're going to see later that Peter repented and returned. Praise God. But Judas didn't. 
Judas never repented and he never returned. Judas betrayed the Lord. I don't know about you, but I mean, wouldn't it have been awesome, what do you think, to be one of the 12? How many of you here would have kind of liked that? Oh, man, imagine eating his fish tacos. I mean, <laughs> imagine, you know, walking with the Lord, you know, and, you know, you, Peter gets to walk on water. They get to cast out demons. They get to see love incarnate. I mean, I love Jesus. I've never seen him. One day we will, but imagine how awesome it would have been to be one of the 12. Imagine that. You know, multitudes were following Jesus, and then when it was time for more personal training to take place, uh, 12 being the number of government in the Bible, Jesus needed to select 12 men to give the mantle to after he ascended. And so we read in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through 13, that he prayed all night long, and then when he woke up, it says he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose 12, whom he named apostles. And so there are multitudes. There's hundreds following the Lord. And then he's got disciples. Some say there were 70. But then amongst them, he selects 12. I mean, these are like the chosen ones. These are the elite of the Lord. In Mark 3, verse 14, it says, He appointed the 12 that they might be with him. I love that. He appointed them that they might be with him. Isn't that beautiful? I want you guys to live with me. I want you guys to walk with me. I want you guys to be with me all the time. That they would be with him and that they would go out and preach. And so they were chosen to be with God, to do the work of God, to bless the people of God. I mean, Judas was honored by God as one of the 12. As a matter of the fact, at the Last Supper, he was seated in the place of honor. And Matthew 26 calls him a friend in verse 50. And that word, it speaks of a partner or a comrade. But the disciple, the apostle, the friend, notice what we read in verse 44. Here in Mark 14, it says, now his betrayer. I mean, when it was all said and done, when, when the life was over, that's how he's identified. You know, he used to be a follower, then a disciple, then an apostle, then a preacher, you know, then, then a friend, then an honored friend, until eventually he became a betrayer. You know, when you see who it is, it breaks your heart. And even when you see how he did it, it breaks your heart even more because it, it says that he kissed Jesus. You know, they, they came, they bring the soldiers, and he goes up to him, Rabboni, you know, and he just, he gives him a long kiss. Now, I don't know why I have a hard time with that. Imagine some guy coming up to another guy and giving him a long kiss. But they, they would do that, mm, okay? So for me, I'm just kind of taking it into our language. I'm saying, big hug. Now, we can visualize that, right? Hey, bro, how you doing? And this squeezing, man. There's this one guy, he's a real big buff guy, and he hugs me. He always takes a breath out of me, man. <laughs> but anyways, you know, you can visualize he's doing that. That's how he is betraying him you know it wasn't a kiss though it was it was corruption it wasn't care uh, one guy said it wasn't a kiss it was a hiss you add to that 
all that our Lord went through. Read Psalm 55, 12 through 14. Psalm 41, verse 9. Even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared meals with me has turned against me. I mean, you see who and you see how Judas did what he did, but it's just so amazing how Jesus did what he did. He was so meek, right? I mean, it's interesting when you read the Gospel of John. You guys remember the story in the Gospel of John? He, he said, who are you looking for? And, uh, and when he said that, they all fell. You guys remember that? They fell. They were slain. They were knocked down. It's the only time in the Bible that people are slain. Um, so don't think it's a good thing, okay? <laughs> you know, he just basically said, you guys aren't taking my life. I'm giving it. I mean, he did it with such meekness, right? That's power under control. That's God in the garden. He could have called down legions of angels, he said, but no, he wouldn't do that. Instead, what did he do? Told Peter to put the sword away. He healed Malchus' uh, ear, and, uh, and then he stepped forward to lay down his life. We read that in John 10, 18. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down of my own free will. I mean, you know, just that part of it to me speaks volumes of who he is. He did it in meekness, and then the end, when everyone left, it says in verse 50, then they all forsook him and fled. He did it in, in one sense in loneliness, right? He had quoted Zechariah 13, 7, strike the shepherd and scatter the sheep. And so he was forsaken by men, and eventually he would be by his father. Why? So that you and I would never, ever, ever be forsaken. I wonder if there's anyone here today that feels like they're all alone. You know, sometimes life is like that where you feel like, or, or we'll just say that God is silent. And, and there might be times like that where God is silent, but he's never absent. Never. I want you to know that, that he's with you as a Christian. Why? Why? Why is it Hebrews 13, 5 says that he will never leave us nor forsake us? Why is that? It's because he experienced that for us. So no matter what you're going through, he will carry you through. No matter what, how hot the fire is, I want you to know that he's in that fire with you. You know, I remember when we first started the church, and I'm getting ready to wrap this up. That was one of the promises that God gave me. I've told you guys this story before, so for some of you who've heard it already, uh, forgive me. You can go ahead and take a nap right now, but for the rest of you, <laughs> maybe, you know, you're, you're newer to the church. Um, I remember when we were just praying whether or not to start the church at all. I was anyways. What, what do you want me to do, Lord? And I remember just, it was a weird, I was in my office and I was looking at this little drawing that my daughter had given she was just a little girl at the time, and she wrote like she drew like this car. It was a car, but I couldn't tell which way it was going because it, it was like a Volkswagen almost, you know. And so <laughs> I'm like, which way is it going? Is it going towards the house or away from the house? I couldn't really tell. And uh, and so I'm looking at it and trying to decipher what God's trying to speak to me through this picture. And then I get a phone call, and so this person never calls me. But they called me and they said, the Lord laid me on your heart today 
and he wanted me to give you a scripture. And, and she said, it's Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. And so I wrote it down, but to be honest with you, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say this, I didn't really think much of it, right? And so I wrote it down, and then I looked back, at the, I hung up, I looked back at the picture, and I'm saying, there's something there, Lord. But as I'm looking at this picture, and I still have it in my office, I looked a little lower, and I noticed that on the picture, it was Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. It was the same verse that God had given to me on the phone. And so I, I, I look it up, and, I, and I, just, I just start reading this. And God has a way of, of just telling us things that we need to hear. Just be strong and, and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And I, and I knew that God then had called me to go. And as I, as I go, he said, I want you to know, I will always be with you. And even though, you know, being a pastor, being in ministry, we go through a lot and we see people and just different things that can be so heartbreaking and you, you take it personal, man, because you don't want to harden your heart, but it's just so comforting to know that not because we're, I'm good or not because I'm worthy or not because I got it all together, but because I'm called and because I'm a Christian and because I have Jesus, because he died for me, I will never be alone. And that's not just a promise for me. You don't have to have that whole experience of a painting and a phone call. That's for you. Deuteronomy 31.6 is for you. Hebrews 13.5 is for you. Matthew 28.20, Lord, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's for you. That's his promise man, that he will always be with you. And so we learn so much here, but as we watch the Lord Jesus journey to the cross, my prayer is that we would meet him there. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, I pray you would worship him for that. Revelation 1.5, it says to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father to him, be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. There's John. He's just praying and praising God, right? Uh, so if you're a Christian looking at this stuff, man, praise him with a life that's lived of obedience. Praise him, right? But, but if you're not a Christian, here I pray you would see his love for you, that he made a decision to die for you. And so my prayer is that you would make a decision to live for him, and to follow him. Because at the end of the day, we all fall short of the glory of God. Uh, but at the end of the day, the question is, will we be like Peter or will we be like Judas? Peter repented and returned. Judas didn't. In, in one sense, you can kind of summarize it like this. Will you pray to accept Christ or will you betray the one who made you, who died for you. I mean, really, there's only two camps. Either you're for him or you're against him. Either you're a Peter or you're a Judas. Either you pray or you betray. Either you're a Christian or you're not. 
lot of times people like to live somewhere in the middle. There's no such thing. So my prayer is that, that today, you guys, that we would make that decision to live for him.